is volume 7, 195 of the Roll for Initiative podcast. I am sitting here with Matt, hello everyone, and the great Nick. Howdy folks. Crispy is not with us today because he stayed up late last night talking to his girlfriend. Yeah. Who's over? Who's overseas actually doing some uh, important teaching and he wanted to uh, spend some quality time with her so he stayed up late to chat with her which is Aw, yeah, that's cool. nice. Some people won't vomit when they hear the show. Yeah, well, that one guy will vomit. They'll probably call in and vomit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that one guy. Yeah. There's always five seven zero five seven zero eight six five four ten is our hotline for voicemails, and RFI staff at gmail dot com uh, is our email address, or you can head right to the website of RFI podcast dot com and click on contact us, and you can uh, send us an email or hit us up on Facebook, Facebook dot com slash RFI podcast. There's many ways you could get to us. Yes. Uh, also, hopefully everybody had a great Labor Day. And we're back with more shows and for the foreseeable future. We have a whole bunch of things coming down the pipe. Matt's got a bunch of interviews heading out for some extra special content for us. So we'll have a lot of stuff flowing in the, I guess, the uh, virtual pipes, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> in uh, September here in October as we move into the... 2018 year it's coming up quick yeah yes the new improved rfi podcast what 20 percent more all us are in old school content yay <laughs> yes so okay um matt talk a little bit about your gen con recap that you hadn't had a chance to do yet yes gen con gen con 50 the sold out gen con which yeah, it's interesting. When you look at the atten- the individual attendance they released for this Gen Con, it was about the same as last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing How that was... Sold out? Uh, turnstile was up 4%. Oh, so you had a lot of just like... Like kind of one day and maybe just... Well, or no, the people that were buying passes were all buying four-day passes as opposed to like and coming... And just showed up at the door. Well, no, there was no door sales. Oh. You had... Pre- I read two hundred and something thousand turn. It was like uh, two hundred and four thousand turn style with like sixty, approximately sixty one thousand unique. Which that number uh, may normally they give an exact figure for the unique, considering yeah. they were fudgy with it. Makes me wonder if it was actually the unique was actually down from last year because they cut off sales. Oh. But the turnstile was up because those people were going to stay longer. And I th- and that kind of plays into what I always thought the issue with the con was. It was more of they saw the amount of people that were going to sign up and were like, we, the, because the past three years, the past two years were 
attendance was kind of unique was kind of flat around 60 ish. But then this year they they hit 60 earlier than expected. So they're like, oh, we don't really have the staff and we don't have the capacity to deal with all of this if we let this go to where it'll go. So I think that's why they cut it off because they won. They cut it off not because of like strict fire code. It was more of how do we give everyone a good con? Uh, I actually had the opportunity to talk to Peter Atkinson about this on at his uh, sweet party on a Friday night. Just chat, got to chat with him briefly. And yeah, name dropping. (laughs) Not the first of that to come either. But uh, he basically said the main thing they have with Gen Con and the way the Indianapolis Convention Center is laid out. They have choke points. There's just certain areas. Herds of people congregate and. They have a lot of room, but they have to figure out how to spread all these people out so they can accommodate more and just figuring out traffic flow and that type of thing. And like the exhibit hall and the hallways leading to it and the cosplay area, uh, areas that congregate lots of people, figuring out how to minimize the impact of that when it comes to traffic flow. So that's kind of where they're at. And they actually did a really good job considering it's a sellout. It felt just like any Saturday from the past couple of years. So it was, I was surprised by the lack of insanity, insanity when it comes to the crowd. So that was, yeah. And then since I briefly meant, since I already mentioned it, I'll talk about, uh, on Friday night, uh, Peter Atkinson threw a sweet party actually for his web series he's working on. And, uh, so I went to that and, uh, basically they're right now, it's going to be like part live action, part animated, like drawn, and they're looking for extras for the, uh, web series. So you could take a picture of yourself in like a get up and they, if they like your look, they may make you an NPC basically in the game. You oh. won't have any speaking lines, but you'll be drawn in art as part of the web series. Is this kind of like a, a, a riff on, or a take on Harmon Quest? Uh, I'm not sure exactly because it's a world of Caldare. Uh, I just butchered the enunciation of that. But yeah, I'll throw a link in the show notes to anyone that's interested in applying for it because it was now through uh, the middle of September that you can apply for that and try to get in it. Um, So that was the point of the party. And and then we, of course, had some luminaries show up. It was like Luke Gygax made a drop in. Um, John Peterson was there. Satine Phoenix was there. So it was a good time. Very crowded. But, hey, when Peter Atkinson's throwing a party and he's supplying all the booze, hey, who's, who's to pass that up? Hey, open bar. I'm there. Yep. So, so that was the uh, Friday night party I went to. And then during the day... Had a, they were doing a lot of history panels, and I went to a couple of them. One of them was Fantasy Conquers Gen Con, and that was just where you had Mike Carr, Luke Gygax, Dave McGarry, and Tom Wham just talking about when TSR first went to Gen Con back in 74, because Gen Con is older than TSR, and the impact of Dungeons & Dragons on it. And it was like the first year they were there, two tables played D&D, only two. The next year, the number of tables increased like 40%. And then this, and by 76, it was 70% of the con was RPGs. Gen Con originally was a wargaming convention, like that started in the mid late 60s. Right. Something like that. Yeah, because it was actually started uh, in like 68. Yeah. Yeah, it was started in 68 by a wargamers group. 
right. that Gary Gygax was a part of. So, and they just talked about the growth and just how tiny that horticultural hall was, <laughs> where that first one was. And they actually, in the field of Lucas Oil Stadium, took that horticultural hall and they took the footprint of that and made the museum for Gen Con. So where they had like the early drafts of D&D and a lot of like contracts and notes. I, there's some pictures on our Facebook page if anyone wants to see it. But yes, thank you for doing those little updates here and there. What was going on? People appreciated those. Yeah. Cool. So you can and they even recreated the uh, entryway facade of the horticultural hall. And they plop that in Lucas Oil Stadium. So you can when you go there, you're just like, wow, it was so small. It was smaller than even I expected. Uh, but it, that was really neat. Just you're going there and you're seeing all these just like like you're seeing between the historical artifacts. And then they also had a lot of uh, product, but it was like the pristine still in shrink product from like 30 years ago. So where they hit, hit up some of the hardcore collectors for it. Because Peter, uh, on Wednesday before Gen Con, it was like him and one other person were the people setting up the uh, museum because he didn't want anyone else to be responsible for possibly do- damaging or losing this stuff. <laughs> so he's like, if something happens, it's going to be me. Because <laughs> oh the last God. thing you wanted to be is the guy who like spilled your soda on the first draft of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that 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 would be bad. Right. So, and then. Something else I found interesting is we've all heard about the uh, Gen Con at the Playboy Club. It nearly killed. Yes. It nearly killed Gen Con. Attendance when was, was that? That was it, it was seventy nine. It was Gen Con ten, and it dropped attendance thirty percent. Yeah, because the kids wouldn't show because mommy mommy was not going to drop little Billy off at the Playboy Club because they assumed everyone there would be like Playboy playmates, and. Huh. The con took a huge hit, but it managed to recover. But they realized, yeah, never doing that again. Wasn't and then they wasn't that uh, when they the next year they switched to going to Milwaukee at the convention center. Or was that a little later on? I think that might have been a little later on. Uh, yeah, actually, it was seventy seven for the Playboy Club. Okay. Yeah, huh. they so, went from Horticulture Center. Three years to Playboy Club. <laughs> right. And then they also mentioned like back in the early days, it was pretty much strictly male. It was like there might have been the, the joke. The joke back then was there was like one or two females there, but every guy in attendance claimed they talked to her. Yeah. Whereas now right. it's like 45 percent of the con is female. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. It's of, like that with almost any convention now. Right. It's getting far more diverse and hence why it's no longer just a war game convention or strictly RPGs and it's expanded everything because it's appealing to a broader audience and hence why you get a better cross section of the communities. Right. Um, And then there was also uh, the other one I went to was on Saturday morning after Peter's party. Um, The moderator for this was John Peterson, who was uh, a little worse for wear because we were both out very, very late. (laughs) I think I finally went to bed about 3.30 in the morning. I think he disappeared from the uh, after-party uh, just about like 2.30 in the morning. But uh, th- this, yeah, this one is about more the uh, mid-80s. And it had like Frank Menser, Harold Johnson, uh, Merle Rasmussen, and Steve Winter on it. 
And then, oh, okay. yeah, so they were talking about the con and uh, also just old TSR, which I never realized how terrible of a disrepair place that old Hotel Claire was until now. Apparently, yeah, it was an abandoned hotel that they took over. But, yeah, it needed a lot of work. This, uh, there was one, one point uh, Errol Otis decided, hey, I'm going to, like, crawl through, like, the drop ceiling on the third floor. And he actually ended up dropping through the ceiling and in, <laughs> in, into a meeting. So his feet are dangling from the ceiling during this meeting. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just like you're walking. It's like there's and it was just lots of shenanigans like that. It, it was a very wacky place. And then it was uh, Harold Johnson was the one. He was the one that kept getting uh, responsible for laying people off when the layoffs came. And he hated that because what would happen is people would be brought in as editors or writers, then moved to uh-huh. other departments. Well, when the other departments didn't want them, they would pull the Well, we don't need them, but we'll leave it up to Harold if they stay around if Harold needs them. So he always got stuck having to lay people off. And he and at one point uh, he like Merle wanted to leave. And then so Harold ended up laying him off because it's like, I know you want to leave anyway. So here, instead of me having to lay off someone that wants to stay here, I'll let you go. (laughs) That way you get a severance and you can quit. No harm, no foul. (laughs) Right. Um. But yeah, and and in relationship to the con back then, they had the TSR before Harold took it over, had the concept of Gen Con was their favor to the gaming world. You should be lucky we let you show up. And basically everyone hated them because of that. Uh, But eventually they figured this out. So they 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 kind of got a little uh, receptive to like, hey, we're not really like, and that all the other vendors when they had the big giant castle at, at the old mecca, they yeah. all the vendors wanted to attack the castle and throw things at it and whatnot. <laughs> so what they did is they bought Nerf guns for everyone, all the other vendors one year, and they basically staged the storming of the castle. And they had Lorraine Williams up on a cherry picker high above the castle with like a Nerf crossbow. And she basically. I heard about this. Yeah. Yes. And they and they had a giant bat Nerf battle as all the other vendors were storming TSR's castle. Wow. And, And that's kind of when they went from Gen Con being we're doing you a favor to here. Let's help each other and grow gaming. Mm-hmm. And, and they lost the us against them mentality. So, but yeah, it was very much, yeah, it was great just hearing all the old stories. Uh, they did record all of these. I'm not sure how Gen Con's going to release them, but all the history panels were recorded. They had the cameras and mics set up. So, oh, okay. so at cool. some point, hopefully all of these will actually hit uh, the YouTube or somewhere so we can view them because I went to a few of them. They had like 30 of them, just basically the, covering the entire history of gaming. And, uh, so it was, I think uh, something might be up on YouTube. I saw some links that Menser had dropped. So they might be up somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I will have to look for those. And if I find them, I'll start throwing them in the show notes because yeah, they were great. 
Um, and I got to talk to uh, Merle after his panel, got him to sign some of my top secret SI books, which is actually humorous considering he didn't work on it. Uh, but that's what me and my game group, my gaming group's currently playing. So I'm like, yeah, I'll get him to sign these since he did do top secret. But then he showed me a, a, a draft copy of the new top secret. So that was oh, new world order. Yep, yeah. New world order. So that With was uh, Hogan and Nash and Hall. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I would. I don't think it's that New World Order. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't ask yeah. WWE because I, I, I parlayed to Merle the story of how we figured out what the name of it was is when I was doing uh, trademark research and I saw that uh, they applied for New World Order and then that WWE was actually wanting to d- investigate it further to see if it infringed on their trademark. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I told Merle that story and he found it amusing. But uh, and then it it was also, yeah, it was just good good times. It was just good. It does look really good. That game. Yes, it does. I I just the little bit that I was able to flip through after the uh, panel. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely picking this up when it gets out. Didn't get it on the Kickstarter because of Gen Con coming up. But yeah, is um, is that that's being released under the TSR label, right? Correct. Yep. TSR Games. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. TSR Games. Not the original TSR, I just meant the TSR that Jason Elliott was right. part of. Exactly, yeah. and they said it should be later this, hopefully uh, Christmassy is what Merle was saying, for that to be out for people to get, so. I wonder how it's going to be received, we will have to see. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. But, uh, and then, um, also while I was there, um, I got to do a sit down with Rick Loomis, a flying buffalo, talk some grim tooth tunnels and trolls and nuclear oh, cool. war. I got to talk, chat with him for about 20 minutes or so. So, um, which you probably should have already have listened to now. It was our previous special insert. So, but if you haven't go back and listen to it, it's actually really fun. A Rick Loomis. Yeah. Rick Loomis. Oh, that's that mini show number nine. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. Right, yeah, mini show number nine. So if you haven't listened to it, go back because it's really fun. And we even had a run in from Liz Danforth because she was sitting like next to it. Like she was at the uh, table facing outward to convention for, at the booth. And I'm, me and Rick are sitting behind her and we're talking Grim Tooth. So she starts timing in on the origins of Grim Tooth and why he looks like he does and whatnot because she had some stories that Rick didn't even know. So, that, oh, there you go. yeah, so that was fun. And then. There's also some great FBI stories related to Flying Buffalo, too, I mentioned. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yes, their initials are FBI, and that leads to Flying Buffalo, Inc. So that leads to some confusion. But, yeah, so oh. you'll have to listen to the mini-episode to get them. Wow. Well, I will listen. Yeah, yeah that, that it, go back and listen to that, Nick. It's on the site right now. But there's just, I can't believe that FBI agents, you have to listen to it. Just, okay. You, You'll face palm thinking, why FBA? FBI agents trusted Google over their own company directory. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which made me go, when Matt told me that, I'm like, wait, what? Now I had to go listen to it before he put it up a couple weeks ago. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's a good interview. Right. Okay. And then, uh, and actually just to sidetrack FBI stories, Merle told us, Told some FBI stories, too, because, yeah, Top Secret got the attention of the FBI. There was the one 
which I think we all know about how they left some notes laying around about a game they were running and they were mistaken for an assassination plot of a guy in Lebanon. So the FBI knocks on TSR's door like, hey, what's this? The- oh, didn't was it that um, we interviewed somebody that told us that who did that? Yeah. Was it uh, was it Tracy Hickman that was telling it us? It might have been. Might have been. Yeah. Yeah. There was that- he was doing research in the, in the mall for the Russians and things yes. like that. And it was during that time frame that they thought he was actually part of the KGB or something. Yeah. Right. That that makes me think of remember when Steve Jackson games cyber yeah, yeah. cyberpunk yeah. it was a hacker cyberpunk yeah. Me- yeah, because I actually mentioned they were that. investigated by the FBI. Yeah. But no, there was another one, too, because they released a module, a lady in distress, and it used the ship plans of an actual real life ship. Three years later, that ship was hijacked by terrorists, identical to the plot of that module. Oh, no way. Yes. Lady in distress. The ship, the ship was hijacked in 85. The module was released in 82. It, and the whole plot it was... That was the one in the Mediterranean, the Akira Lago, Akira Lago or something? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, they did a module in 82 called Lady in Distress about hijacking that ship. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that, that got a knock, too. So, <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, there, there's just... If you talk to some of the old guys, there's some great FBI stories floating around. So... Huh. Yeah. And then uh, also um, there's a few more interviews as teasers you'll hear in the future. Um, I did talk to uh, Meta Arcade. Uh, They are actually making Tunnels and Trolls Adventures for Android and iOS. They're taking the old solo modules and bringing them to the tablet. So you make your character and you can go through the old solo Tunnels and Trolls stuff. And like level your character. You know who would love that? Glenn of uh, Thacko's Hammer. He would probably love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been playing around with it. And yeah, you create your character, you level it up. Your equipment carries over from scenario to scenario. Uh, right now, they have like four mini-ish, more, four mini modules, and then two main modules. Uh, Flying Buffalo is one of them. Uh, it, it, they're doing the freemium model, so you kind of have like hearts, a.k.a. lives. So every time you die, you lose a heart. And you can get more hearts, you can buy them, or you can watch a YouTube video and uh, get a heart. Or you can just buy the module. Like, the mini modules are like a buck. Oh, just buy it. Just yeah. buy yeah. it. Yeah, Fla- uh, Buffalo Castle is five bucks. I'm just like, I'll just buy it. So, yeah. Uh, I've got an interview with them. Uh, and I'll do a little review of the... A more in-depth review uh, t- on the, at the end of that for the mini episode. And then I was showing bits prior to this show. Uh, I interviewed some guys from Archivos. It's a new uh, campaign manager... It's, uh, I just found, I was walking through the exhibit hall in the entrepreneur's alley and I saw this, I'm like, this looks really interesting. So talk to those guys a little bit and, uh, just cause I, I saw this, I'm like, this will be so useful. So is it like a competitor to roll 20 in a way? No, no. It's more for campaign notes, more, think more, uh, obsidian portal, epic words, except more visual. Oh, okay. Um, it's like, if you actually put like a, a good UI, on those to where you can actually have maps and chained linking oh. and all of that. Um, so. Oh my God. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the site right now on the back end map that you gave me the login for and it says legal disclaimer. I own the rights to the content of this story and attest that the, the use of this content of this story and setting will not violate any rights or any kind of nature whatsoever to any third party. And it has a little box. I consent upon pain of death by ring ring wraith. <laughs> yes. That's a consent form. Yes. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, so. But yeah. A little over yeah. the top, but yeah, what the hell, right? Right, yeah. But yeah, I'll send you a link too so you can look at it, uh, Nick. So, so that one. Because yeah, it's definitely worth checking out, I think. Because it's just, it's doing something that other things have done, but did in a different manner that I just thought was pretty novel. So, but I got an interview with them. So, but we have that cool. coming up as well. But yeah. Nice. Gen Con, definitely good times, albeit very board game heavy. Very board game heavy. So, on a rating of one to five, five uh, swords, Gen Con this year. Um, I'm giving it a five. I had an absolute, yeah, I had an absolute blast. Um, got to see friends. I only get to see at Gen Con and hang out with them. Got to see the con. Uh, got to sit down and talk with Rick. Just hearing the old stories was great. I love that stuff. So, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, it was just a great time all around. Yeah. And the, the, I know the crowds were scaring some people, but if you've been the past couple of years, the crowds didn't seem worse than that. So, yeah, definitely. Gen Con still gets the seal of approval from DM Matt. Not like all they right. need it. And that's, and that's all that's important right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, cool. So uh, now that that's wrapped, let's right head into our uh, first segment of uh, our review for today, Cable Matters. Back in the day, a fella knew how to judge a fireball on the fly and how far the cleric could push the undead he turned. I tell you, with all these min-maxers and munchkins, metagame and power game, there's something missing that I'm here to learn you. Now sit down and crack your book while I commence to teach you some. Okay, everybody. We're going into table manners here, and we're going to do a review of a module uh, called, uh, hopefully I get the name right, The Indomitable Domain of Turlaf the Tenebrific. Yeah, that's by, how I would pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, and it's by Jeremy Jeremy Reban. Excuse me, my throat's a little sore, folks. I apologize. And this is a old school rules module that he designed. And it's pretty, the overall layout, pretty basic. That's got some, um, I guess, unique artwork, but some uh, uh, public domain stuff. Yeah, he says it in the back of the module that... Right. Yeah. But it's not a very big dungeon, but it's very dangerous. <laughs> so it packs a punch in a very small area. <laughs> Yeah, you need to make sure you're prepared for this dungeon because there's quite a bit of combat in this thing. And right. Now, it, doesn't, it doesn't say it on the module cover itself, but I think it says it on Drive-Through RPG that it's level 7 through 9. Is that right? Uh, 7 through 10 are meant for six party members of okay. first edition rules. Yeah, 7 through 10. And yeah, you, you'll go. He has put in stats here, so you can play it for D twenty edition too, following the whole OGL stuff. So right, right, because this is released under the open gaming license, so he kind of, in a way, he kind of did a dual statting thing, but it's not that convoluted. No, it, it follows the same format like Sword and Wizardry or Osric yeah. or anything like that. I mean, you really don't even need to do the whole ascending descending thing really anymore because you yeah. can't really copyright rules. Right. So you exactly. can do whatever you want. So this 
this uh, dungeon adventure, this little small compact dungeon adventure, this is how it starts off. It says, during his descent into depravity and charnel horror, the renowned archmage Ronaldo Lanzendry trained several students in the wizardry arts. Most of them shun his turn towards evil, but some embraced it. A handful of these dark apprentices escaped the calamity that sealed the dungeons of Ronaldo Lanzendry and went on to varied careers of villainy. Lots of adjectives. Yeah, really. <laughs> it's like reading Lovecraft. <laughs> I think some of this is inspired by that. You look yes. at his credits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very Lovecraftian in flavor in, in some spots. Um, one such, I guess, apprentice was Turlap the Tenebrific. His necromatic studies took him in a different course than Lazendry's attempt to create life. Rather, Turlef contrived to make contraptions and constructs from corpses along the lines of a flesh golem. And that's where it kind of all kicks off that... All right, so based yeah. on that alone, yes. how, are we, how are we hooking a party of PCs to come into this dungeon? Yeah, I guess that's where you kind of go, what's the plot hook? Yeah, um, don't know. Right. Uh, I guess one of the things I would kind of... I, I just think it off the top of my head as a plot hook is maybe that there's a rumor that there's reports on an outlying area of, of very strange, peculiar monsters of of an unknown type that are, are um, that are running around the, mm. the the area. You could go with that, or you could go with like people disappearing. Mm-hmm. I think the disappearance won't work with... Uh, uh, I think the disappearance will work a lot better because the first one, yeah, you'll hook the paladin and any lawful good characters, but the rest of them will be like, meh, I don't care. Right. Yeah, like disappearances of uh, maybe just random people. Yes. Or you can make it important people, however right. you want to hook it into your campaign. Yeah, yeah you I can think say that, like a, a lord was captured or... Uh-huh. Uh, it's, you can even go with the whole great wealths and wondrous items down there. At, at level just, 7 through 10, people would be like, ooh, wondrous items? Right. Yeah, exactly. Or you could go with the hook of, like, there's children disappearing. Yeah. People wander into these caves and they never return. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so oh, yeah, that's a good point. We have, these, we have this here and no one has ever survived. You can go that whole angle and, like, throw it in their... Uh, throw it in the faces of the people of the party be like no one's ever survived you guys won't either so I don't think you should go do it you know right, right, you, right. yeah you could even throw in something like hey you need to go and retrieve this like mushroom or whatever hey uh-huh. it's a, it grows in this cave or whatever go get it and then they're like oh wait what's all this I mean just anything you could any trope you could throw at them to say hey yeah. investigate a cave would work here Mm-hmm. Or, or, or we need you need to find um, uh, Ronaldo's whatever ring of uh, signet ring or something, and it's only in this cave because that's where he was. Mm-hmm. Something like that. That's a good hook there. Why do we need it? Who knows? We'll figure that out later on as a DM. Right. Oh, here's another one. If you're going with a magic item, there is one somewhat powerful magic item in there. It's that great axe. We'll talk about shortly. I was just thinking of I was just thinking of this. Maybe there's a maybe there's a war going on. And the opposing country or whatever it is, kingdom, they're using 
all they're using hordes of undead. And there's this known magic item that in this area that has been in these in these caves for decades that has been hidden there and they need you to find it. Maybe something like that too. Yeah. Speaking of the great axe, did you notice his comments on that, how he said it was a throwaway term? Yeah. Throwaway oh, yeah. Great axe, great axe is simply a very, I'm going to say, not to say large battle axe, instead of saying a very, very battle axe. Yes. And uses halberd sets. It's actually a toss-away comment in the 1E monster book, though the term great axe isn't actually used. I thought it was in um, Unearthed Arcana, the weapon. Isn't it? Uh... Not I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, because I've used uh, Great Axe before while playing 1E way back in mm-hmm. since, like, playing the game originally with DM Joe. I mean... The, the great DM Joe? Yeah, so I always thought it was part of I never actually took mm-hmm. a second thought about that one. Yeah, so. me neither. Neither did I. So there's a, you know, some plot hooks you can maybe throw out there, however you want to fit it in your campaign. Yeah. I just think it's a, um, an interesting uh, side quest, if you want to call it that, because it's not necessarily a huge dungeon. I think there's only there's only about there's fifteen sixteen area sixteen areas to cover. But on the first page, there was some GM background about Turlath, about yeah. basically his necromancy was his undoing. He did not. Die a normal death. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no. I get his, one of his victims came back as a revenant, killed him, choked him to death, and he couldn't cast high enough spell to save himself, and his spirit came back as a, like a collection of worms and insects known as the worm that walks, which is definitely a Lovecraftian horror sort of thing. Oh yeah, totally. So, uh, so this necromancer is a collection of worms and bugs <laughs> that is more or less haunting these caves, <laughs> and it gets in a little bit. <clears throat> excuse me, on the uh, just basic on the characteristics of the dungeon, your standard caves, which is uh, good because so many of us forget when we write these things down or write our notes or. Write modules, forget about if it's not listed, this is the standard of what it's supposed to be. And I always try to remember to do that with mine now. Right. So it's a mix of stone and earth. But one of the things that the, he does say, because of all the experiments that were done in the past, and there's such a strong connection to the negative material plane, all undead are harder to turn by four. So basically, uh, if you're going to, someone's going to try to turn one of these undead, you got to subtract four from the roll for, from the cleric or a paladin if he's high enough level. So. I, what I don't like here is also there's a player's map. Yeah, yeah. There is a I, I don't, player's map. I don't like player's maps because that like basically just reveals almost everything to, in my thoughts, so. Right. Yeah, I much prefer the fog of war method, right? Yeah, yeah. make the map themselves. Yeah, well, be- I guess that's your choice, though. If you want to use that, that's entirely up to you. I wouldn't use my, it. My pro- it'd be one thing if it was like, okay, we know the layout of the cave, but when you look at this player's map, it actually has yeah. like the pentagram, the this magic circle on it. It has like too much detail as opposed to too just much detail. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, if you're going to explore these and no one's survived and things like that angle, you wouldn't have a player's map because no one would know what it looks like on the inside. Right, right. Yeah, now if exactly. maybe you found the corpse of someone who started to map it, maybe you could have a partial map once you're already in. Yeah, but even then, you'd probably only have the first two areas. And because this kind of leads into the module, there's a there's the actual main part of the dungeon is blocked. There's a stone block covering it. But there's also like a side cave to that. That's all you get as far as a map, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. If it was, if there was a player's map. Yeah, it's probably something I wouldn't use at all. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to give them anything, it'd probably just be here's the stone block, and there is this side cave that there might be stuff in, but you don't know for certain. That's where people keep disappearing. I think the the player's map is more of a, a, a 3E type thing. Yes. A lot of the 3E modules always had like player's maps. Yes. Things for the lazy gamers. They don't have to actually map. So. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. people don't like me for that comment. I, that's how I think about it. Lazy gamer. Uh, and yeah, then so. they also, so that way if you wanted to throw down the battle mat, you know exactly what the scale is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. I prefer to, to, as a DM, to draw each room out as they go into it. That's just yeah. my style. Yeah, same here. Me too. That's what I mean. Everybody like I just draw an example like on Roll Twenty. You know, you got the whole the whole fog of war feature where it only reveals the dungeon as much as you want the player, the party to to see. You know. So, moving on from that. Like I said, there's a block that's stone block covering up the main entrance of the, the cave, and there's a couple of ways that they give as suggestions to move or get rid of that stone block. Uh, one of those is like using the disintegrate or a rock to mud spell. Yeah, um, idea, yeah. yeah, but there's the, the off to, if you're facing the stone block off to your right, would be this other large cave. And it looks like when the party goes in it, it looks like there's a whole bunch of spider webs and there might be two human bodies there, cocoon in the spider web and they start to move. Well, that's everything. <laughs> everything is not what it seems. <laughs> Let's put it that way. This is, an, an, uh, I guess, a quote-unquote a new monster it's called Zeno... Xenopterids? Xenopterids. Excuse me. And, that's a 3D monster. Yeah, it's a 3E monster, and basically as an optorid, as basically some sort of creature that has evolved to basically look like humans, in a way. They mimic humanoids. And they mimic them in a way to where, you know, they maybe appear wearing clothing or armor or something like that. And... I, uh, one of uh, the uh, things I like about this creature is the explanation. Like, as an optorid's eerious feature is its mouth, a crude, chitinous beak that, when closed, resembles a human face. So when it opens up, like, the whole face opens up, that would scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so you got a couple of those that you fight, and they're pretty nasty. That's a, and Your first creature you're fighting here, there's two of them, they're ten hit dice. You know? And they have special yeah. defensive glue slime, uh, poisonous bites, 
uh, claw claw bite of two to claw for each claw claw bite attack. That's nasty. Well, you're, don't forget you're also seventh to tenth level too. So right, right. Scaling up and down based on how many characters you have. Yeah, true. And then we get if you actually get into the cave on the next page of the module, they talk about there's a fork in the in the dungeon, either going left or right. Oh, uh, back up, back up for one oh, second though. What did I miss? We have to remember there are two oh, bags. There's a scroll. Yes. Yeah, there's two bags of treasure right in front of the two bodies there to lure you over to the bodies. Yes. Which is actual real. They're they're real gold and rubies and everything. And then of mm-hmm. course, which I thought was hysterical was there is a disintegrate scroll right there for you. So in case yes. you don't have the spell ready, there's your way in. That's very <laughs> Gygaxian. Yeah. <laughs> With a little oh, and there's a in, in the scroll there's a note that was written by I get yeah, written by uh it says, my dear colleague, I may be presumptuous, but I have close a useful scroll to bypass my door. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> he even tells you what it's for. How convenient. Yes. He's a considerate <laughs> necromancer. Yes, he is very considerate. Or he just thinks he's so powerful. You know. <laughs> it's like He's like, bring it. He's very nice. Leave him alone. Yeah. Uh, then you get to that. If you get past that store block, you go to the next page. We have the fork in a cave that you find, and if you could see on the, I guess it would be the cave to the right, you could see a, like a flickering of a campfire, and if you have a ranger, you might be able to find some remnants or drops of blood, and... Clues all over the place for various, yeah. takes into account for various player uh, character classes and races here, so not everyone's just kind of doing nothing at this point. Right. You give, like, the ranger something to look for, something to do. And you give some other things, like, you're, maybe your thief or an elf might start hearing polka music and, 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 and singing from the south. Yeah, I don't know where that's supposed to lead to, because there's no other mention yeah. of it anywhere. Yeah, there's no there really isn't. And why polka music? I, I, I don't know. Necromancers are heavily into polka, polka music? I guess they yeah. like their oompa music. Maybe you should throw an accordion somewhere in this as well, just to, a magical accordion that plays itself or something. I don't know. But yeah, so that, very Going real. with this module, if it's coming from the south, that means it's in the central room which we'll get to where there's a bunch of skeletons, but I don't see why they playing polka music. Yeah, <laughs> that I, would be amusing if that was his version of like a Chuck E. Cheese band, with, but he did it with skeletons, and they played polka music. <laughs> the animatronic skeletons playing yeah. polka music. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's so obscure a reference, it just doesn't quite fit. You know? Maybe it's... So, uh, maybe it was something he was planning on doing and maybe just kind of forgot. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of going with. Maybe if he's listening or if someone points it out to him and he, he could write in and say, hey, the polka music was for... Yeah, why polka? Why polka? Or if you wanted to just run it, you could. I can actually see you running a campaign off this where you have to go and hunt down all these uh, dark wizards that is... That, oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. at that point, but have polka music be in every lair. <laughs> that's, that's anyway it's no big deal you don't even have to you can ignore it because you, there's no reason for it it doesn't ruin the module or anything so 
that's just something we're exploring as we're going around this. We don't want anyone to think that we're, you know, bashing someone's work. So, no, yes. you know, hey, anybody could make those same mistakes. You know, it's no big deal. Oh. Well, I'm just jumping on. You know what? That, it might be person. one of those. Might be one of those mysteries that are meant to be unsolved. You know. Uh, just jumping on it before someone says, "Well, these guys are afraid of picking on that guy." It's like they're the. It's like the worst ever. <laughs> yeah. All right. All, All right. right, but moving on, if you choose to go to the left, there's this area called the Parlor of the Ecorche. And this is another uh, quote-unquote new undead. And this one's really creepy when it comes to undead because this one is basically a skinless humanoid and it flays its enemies of their skin and likes to wear them. Basically, hollow you out and make you into a sleeping bag. So, yeah. And this one, and it has a name. It's called Zindar. <laughs> I love how he always gives a lot of his undead in here, actual first names and stuff. It makes him more unique that way. Right. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, real nasty monster. It's flay attack, you know, flaying off your skin. And when you go into the dungeon, you see that there is, or in this part, this cave, I believe it says. You see, strewn about the room are dozens of outfits and clothing, but all the skins of the previous old owners are folded almost neatly on top. That's creepy. <laughs> tidy, okay? He's a tidy undead, but he's like, it's like rips off their clothing and everything, but when he flays their skin, he folds it up real nice. <laughs> because that's his clothes. Yes, of course. But it has. I like the fact that this monster is so deadly and so creepy. But it has yeah. no initiative in, in its undead life. It just kind of just chills there, waiting for orders, and doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, bring it lazy. Yeah, fourteen hit dice too. Real nasty. I'm a class of Ned too. Fourteen hit dice for a party of seven to ten might be a little much. I don't know. Might be. Might well, be. then again, if you gang up on this thing, you might be able to take it down. Negative two AC. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he doesn't really have any ability except flaying. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, his claw attacks are nasty. Three yeah. eighteen each. But and it's got its it's got its standard undead immunities plus your minus four on turning it. I guess oh, it's would definitely this be considered badass. special. Oh, yeah. Would this be considered quote unquote special on the undead table then? Ooh, it's also a large creature. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It moves pretty fast. But I'm I'm thinking it must be under the special category of turning undead table, right? Oh yeah. For that sense. Yeah, it's or, gonna be special, yeah. So it's already at the uh the the, the very, very bottom of the table of the hardest to turn. And then and it gets then plus you get four. A minus four to yep. turn it. Yep. Ugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not really turning much in this. <laughs> no. Uh, unless your cleric is at least 10th level, and that's even beyond a normal... Or, well, yeah, it's at the top level for this module. What, 7 to 10, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you got you have Zindar, <clears throat> this flame undead creature, and then if you go south, where the supposed polka music is coming from, this is <laughs> where you find a campfire... And there are three skeletons sitting around the fire, completely motionless. And then, I, I actually like this one. This is kind of interesting, where 
like then the logs and everything on the fire start to shimmer and shake and move and it forms into basically like a some sort of weird construct golem thing basically a like skeleton voltron <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah, basically it, what it looked like to me a skeleton voltron it it's a what he calls a wicker golem yeah, it's a really cool-looking friggin' Wicker all yeah. around. Yeah, think of like Wicker Man, but the weird thing is it's on fire, and the fire doesn't consume it. It actually gives it, like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it gives it special abilities. Yeah. And then you have those skeletons, which are nasty, who eventually animate, and they each have, like, gems in their eyes of different colors, red, gray, and blazing blue, and each of these, like, they could cast spells out of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that like, monster in that we did a couple issues ago with the uh, gem eye that did the special spell. What was the name of that monster? The, oh. oh. Matt did it on one of his... Yeah. Oh, the Eye of Fear and Flame. Yes. Yeah. Like the that. Folio. yeah, that's the one where it could cast with it like a six or eight hit die fireball like every couple of rounds. Yep. Right. Ninth level yeah, bur- burning hands here. Got yeah. acid arrow. You have sleep, sleep. Yep. And they attack as their ninth level fighters. Yep. Ouch. And I think that, yeah, they each the red eyed skeleton casts burning hands twice a day. The grayish eyed one casts sleep twice a day, and blue eyed can cast acid arrow twice a day. So nasty. And the spells are cast as if by a ninth level magic user as well. So, pretty darn nasty. But the cool thing is, if you knock them off, you can claim the gems inside them. And the, uh, this I did not get. What did this mean? If the characters make a lot of noise fighting, and they probably do, the singing changes to yells of, Hello? Is anyone there? That, me, you know? That's that woman, uh, that devil that's in room seven. That's supposedly Scandinavian American oh, accent. Yes. Okay. I didn't quite the, the not a succubus. Talking about. Yeah, the non succubus that looks like a succubus. Yes. And that's okay. Alright. Okay. So that's like that okay, that that's room number seven, I Yeah, it's room number seven. Yeah, but we have room number six, yes, there is a room number six. Go the central room and down to room number six, which is the challenge of the Riddle Master, aka the Riddler. The Riddler, aka this the crypt, the crypt thing, Riddler. Yes, yes it's like crypt keeper here. Yeah, there's like a skull. Yeah, yeah, because it's a crypt king. It looks like a crypt thing because it's like yeah. sitting on a throne or on it with a hooded cloak. Oh. You then ask a riddle to the characters. If you ask it right, you get a gem. If you don't. You get hit with 5d6 damage of necromatic energy. <laughs> and there's no save. Have fun. <laughs> save versus death. Yeah. Perhaps. Oh, there, oh, no save allowed for a wrong answer. Oh, that's right. Under his rules, he puts necromatic bolt save versus death magic for half. Uh-oh, we have a rules conflict here. Huh. <laughs> well, he probably just copied Necromancer Bolt, the stat block, which probably does give you a save verse half. Hmm. Uh, but I would go with the save versus, uh, versus death for half. Yeah, I would do that too. Yeah. Is that otherwise if you get no save? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of damage for wrong answers. 
All right, so he has a bunch of these riddles, which are pretty simple or hard, depending on if you're a real person or not. I may have gotten some of these, may have not. But one thing that cracked me up was that if the PC's attacked, he abruptly vanishes, and they have a 50% chance of raising the ear of the god of the game show host, the griffin-headed Nimrim. Nimrim? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> That's an anagram I think of Merv Griffin. Yeah. It is. It's Merv Griffin anagram. Yeah. Okay, that's fine, but it's just like, what? Wait, why? Huh? <sighs> so, so apparently, to, yeah, the, the de- I didn't know we had deities of game show hosts, but I love them and they're now going to be in all my games. Yes. Uh, I'm also thinking you could actually take the Riddle Master, but make it part crypt thing so that the wrong answer, instead of bolting them, it transports them somewhere random in the, uh, the caves. So you see the bolt Ooh. shoot out. They disappear. So you don't know if they're evaporated or not. And then they're in one of the other random caves. Or you could be a real jerk. You, they get hit with the necromantic energy, take damage, and disappear and go someplace random. Aha! Yeah. <laughs> Do both. Double jerk move. Yeah. Yep. Double jerk move. Thank you. And then we meet our anime succubus, I guess. It's uh, not a succubus. But not a succubus. Don't succubus, but not one. In room seven. We're going on room seven. Room number seven, there's basically, it's like a study library, alchemist lab sort of place. And I, and you find a scantily dressed woman with bat wings. I guess she's inside the circle, the magic circle. Yes. Yes. And she says, yes, I know what you are all thinking, but no, I am not a succubus. I am a devil, a heteria devil, whatever it's. And in the description of this type of devil, they're how would you best how would you best like describe it? They're very they're very alluring and they kind of um they twist any good intentions that you may have into something that'll end up evil. Right. I guess. That's a devil. It's basically right. just yeah, they're, a devil. They're lawful evil rules lawyers. Right. And and and, then, and the, it does say in here that she will cooperate with the party and help get them out because you know she's looking out for herself too because she all also wants to start to eventually corrupt some of the player characters later on. <laughs> she offers a free month of service if they free her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I and her name is Nyla. She was in her former life a priestess of Freya. Who's a Norse god, goddess? So she speaks with a Scandinavian American accent. She you know, ta- so she sounds a little like this. She like, you know. talks like the mom from Bobby's World with all the G's. Oh, yeah, gosh, there you, go. you don't she know. Gosh. Oh, up over by there, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm up over like from the seventh plane of hell there, you know. And then you know, we'll bring a hot plate. We'll bring a hot dish over for your for your thing there, so you can have some. There you go. Huh. Using it to hard uh, I'll tell you that. That's a nice picture. Hmm. Um, and there's some books there you could get for coinage that you can sell. And it does say at the end if uh, the books on the shelf are devoted to either black magic or really depressing poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, it definitely is. And in fact, they're all worth something except for the poetry book is worth 10 copper. Yeah, 10 yes. copper. Um, 
And they and it does say good characters cannot sell the volumes without alignment problems. They must either donate them to a responsible party or dis- or destroy them. I thought that was interesting. So well, you just- think about that. I mean, a good character is not going to want to spread these out. They're going to want to destroy right. them or find a way to get them out of the evil's hands. And selling them to anyone is pretty much promoting the evil. So right, right, mm-hmm. right. makes perfect sense. And besides, with all the loot they're getting through this anyway, from all, just there's like been gemstones and coins everywhere in this. So them losing out yeah. on like thirty thousand in gold selling these books, they're not going to miss it. Yeah. What's good is that he actually outlines all the experience and all the gold you get throughout the entire module in the appendix section, so you can see exactly what you're giving out overall in one big glance, which I liked. Mm-hmm. So you have her, Nyla, and she's going to, you know, hang out with all you there, you know, head on through the rest of the dungeon. (laughs) So is she going to be with the party the whole time if you free her? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get a devil as an NPC if you free her. And she has all the devil powers. Yep, she knows a little bit about Turlath of what he's like. And, Hmm. uh... So I get the impression she will, in some cases, probably help the party. And it looks like it's up to the DM to figure out why she's there. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no, like, well, let me look. Maybe I didn't read anything about her and her backstory, so yeah. continue. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. she turned her, well, her backstory. Her, her, that's right. She turned her temple into a brothel. Hence, that's why she became a demon or a devil. That was her curse. So, yeah, she turned. She was originally a priestess of Freya, then then she turned the uh, the the temple to Freya into a home house of ill repute, and she was cursed to become this this devil. <clears throat> I, I, but I'm just kind of looking for because I know playing this thing, my players are going to be like all over this oh hot devil chick. Why was she mm-hmm. put in the middle of a pentagram uh, in the middle of an evil uh, dungeon? And it doesn't really say at all. I'm looking through the rest of the module. No, I don't remember reading anything. How, how did she get there? Right. So it's kind of one of those things that is going to have to make up. Yeah, figure yeah. out why she double-crossed him and or something. And why would he, why would he imprison her? Why would the devil right. and a necromancer be feuding? It's just something to think about as a DM. When you're reading this, you're going to say, well, what if my players ask me this crap? I'm going to need to think of something really quick or at least plot something out. Yeah, and it's something that if you're not careful, you can kind of overlook it because, yeah, part uh, a group of players will ask something of that nature. Absolutely. So, yeah, you're going to might have to come up with some uh, a quick backstory on how she got there. It only came up because that. that's what I would do as a player. I'd right. be like, I would too. It's like, well, how how is it that you're trapped in this pentagram? Right. Yeah. If my DM threw this at me, I'd be like, wait a minute. Why is she in the middle of an evil dungeon trapped in a pentagram? Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Something's not kosher, right? Yeah. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Something ain't right. (laughs) Yeah, give you a little. Nope. (laughs) Nope. And that's where you go. uh, There's another uh, section of eight... Here, the Necrocraft Legion. And I guess this cave is kind of a storage area. And Turlath 
was making, he was trying to make a legion of these necrocraft creatures. Which are really he, cool looking. Yeah, yeah, which are really cool. Which are basically made of bits and parts and pieces like different monsters, from what I understand. Uh, but he only got to make like a squad of them. So, Aww. poor guy. But they're nasty. They can fly. <laughs> they have... Some of them can fly. Uh, they they basically look like uh, gargoyles or generic forms of demon. So there's they're constructs, but they're not dynamic. They're dynamic. They're they're made to look dynamic or devilish. This was drawn by Gary Dupuis. I think I'm pronouncing this Dupuis. 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 I guess. D u p u i s. I'm probably not pronouncing. What? Dupois? Is that how it's pronounced? Might be. I, I, my French is like, yeah. But Stock still, art. Nice picture. Pretty good picture. Stock art from Hydra, Headless Hydra Games. Huh. It works. Yeah. Mm, really cool. cool. Yeah. And um, so you could run in. You run into these guys. You have to slog it out with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. you got a little bit of a yeah. This this is a little bit of just a slugfest right here. But you have the issue of like you got a couple of them that can fly that could that could pose problems. So because uh, I would use those as like if they're flying around, if they could lift characters up and drop them from a, a very good height, throw them <laughs> at the walls and stuff like throw that. Throw them at the walls. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, hey, you know, drop you from thirty feet high. Well, that's thirty six damage each drop. I don't know. I mean, having a devil with you with that unlimited amount of power? <laughs> yeah, seems a little over the top, doesn't it? Right. But oh, it don't you know? Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? Well, she, might not, she might not use all of her special abilities, and she plays the the uh, part of, like, the dumb chick. Right. She could, she or she could be dumb. very much like, well, hey, I can do this, but I'll need something from you. Or she's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like, and what if? Matt, don't ever do that again. That was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never. So, uh, how about, uh, what do you say, Matt, on the, on the next one? Because oh, my voice is getting a little raw. Oh, oh, we're, <laughs> uh, the next one, the graves. graves. Yes, this is what happens when you don't move the graves and build things. Because, uh, yeah, this one is... It's Indian just, burial ground? <laughs> well, it yeah. kind of is. Well, ang- it's, it's a ground of, with angry spirits that are so angry they brought the ground to life. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because the frequent internment of angry spirits, because I guess sometimes you can turn happy ones. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, create. Well, you have Casper. Yeah, true. Well, he's friendly, but is he, he's kind of sad, really. He's like, yeah. he just wants a friend. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. But yeah, <laughs> the, the, these, the angry spirits ended up create, making the earth in this room undead. So, and it's a grave bound. And it basically takes piles of grave dirt and bones and animates them to take various shapes of corpses. Uh, when the party enters the room, the grave bound will cause a hole to appear like a 10-foot hole under each party yep. member, and they have to make a save. So basically, it's a pit trap that's going to appear no matter where you are. <laughs> so they have to deal with that. Then if you fall in the pit, 
that's when the fun happens because then it starts to bury them alive. Suffocate you. Yeah. And we get some cool rules for suffocation, too. Right. Yeah. No, I really do actually like these uh, because you have the number of rounds equal to half the Constitution score for them to escape. Otherwise, they suffocate. Um, And then at that, once the suffocation starts is when they start taking the damage. It's 2d6, uh, 1d6 for the first round of suffocation, 2d6, 3d6, 4d6, basically add a d6 each round you're in. And so... Yeah, once you start suffocating, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it takes like 15 rounds to be dug out by someone else. So, yeah. yeah. That, How are you going to survive? I know, that's what I'm thinking as I'm looking. Or six rounds by a shovel. So it's going to, you have to pretty much escape before you start the suffocation, otherwise you're bad. This is where you hope you have like, you know, uh, spider climb spells... Boots of flying, a carpet of flying, gaseous form. <laughs> yes. But you see, the thing about this is when you get trapped in there, fine. You get trapped in there, you start suffocating. The other characters that happen to not get trapped in there are being attacked by the things that were trying to trap everybody in there. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, it's very much a death trap. Because you yeah. start, you, you have to start making saves to avoid falling in the pit while simultaneously trying to dig someone else so they don't die. Yeah. This is, this could TPK a party. Yeah. <laughs> this is where having a flying succubus is kind of useful. Right. Flies or anything in. that can make you fly will be useful here. Right. Because like, oh, it fell in the pit. And if you can make get the succubus to help you. And all Pushing of a sudden. a gaseous form would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Levitation. <laughs> Levitation would be okay. Yeah, there's ways yeah, around it, but... It, that totally negates these guys. Right. Albeit, I would say they could probably throw some sort of bone dirt at players, like mud balls of some yeah. sort, that did a little bit. But, but yeah, the, the, the big you stuff... You have a whole bunch of, of uh, player characters that are all panicky and stupid. <laughs> They're all going to die. A flying carpet would be good. Yep, uh, yep. wings of flying. Yeah. But so... But yeah, so that you have the graves, which could end up being the graves for all your uh, player characters. Yes. Uh, and now we're we got an intersection that has just the three passages to continue off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fourth passage, but is blocked by four living walls because why no, not? These things are nasty. Yes. Uh, I was thinking of the living wall from uh, Magic: The Gathering. Oh yeah, that art, the original the art. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. The original art on that was like unnerving. Yeah, they don't reprint that because yeah, they kind of got it away from gross. Yeah, because uh, the part of it looked questionable. Yeah, <laughs> and then so, and then once those living, then you have to deal with the living walls. And once those are disposed of, as they leave, another living wall attacks. Yeah. This time, it squishes the party against the opposite wall. Yeah, that's what they do. They slam me against other walls. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's not necessarily a devastating attack, but just imagining, like, getting crushed between two living walls. Right. And also, right. And just also, nasty. yeah, and just imagine you're hitting these living walls after walking out of the uh, the graves. Yeah. So you just dealt with all of that. You just dealt with the creatures before that. 
So it's very much a battle of attrition. Yeah, you, yeah. individually, if you just plop these, you can defeat them. But one after another after another, because you're not getting lots of rest in this. No, you are not. No. no. In fact, oh. these living walls, I mean, initially you think, okay, yeah, they, they crush you or slam you into things. Well, it goes beyond that. They have their special defenses. They take half damage from piercing, bludgeoning, and fire, and cold. So... If you think you're going to cast Fireball, great, go ahead, do it, but it's only going to do half. Right. Mm-hmm. You better have Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt. Throw your beanbag. Lightning Bolt. <laughs> yep. And then from the, once you get past these living walls, then you can come across so, the treasury. treasury. Yay. And the Finally tre- a room you could rest in. Right. <laughs> Finally. Yes, because this is the one room that's not trying to kill you. It's just... Nope. You get to uh, take all the stuff, which is lots of gold, lots of silver, as in like 200,000 silver. So if you're taking all this, you're going to be encumbered by now. Or you could be like me if you think you're going to rest. No, I'd make it like a a living uh, treasure hoard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's a mimic. (laughs) Because, hey, he's doing magical experiments. Why wouldn't he have a mimic? Well, there is a monster like that, uh, Hackmaster. It's the Living Horde. Yeah. Um, and then fr- we got the treasury. So basically, we're now in the warehouse portion of this cave. The storage area? Yes. Yeah. The, this is... Ew. Yeah. It's... Uh, um, if you ever wanted to assemble your own Frankenstein monster, this is where you would go. And anatomically correct, too. Yes. Yeah. Because, yeah, there's the uh, crates of naughty bits. Yes. <laughs> Crate E, male naughty bits. Dozen. <laughs> right. And then... Email naughty bits. <laughs> hey. 11 sets. Yeah. Well, why not 12? Uh, no, I, I, I think it's... Never mind. Yeah, we okay. don't... Yeah. We want to keep this as PG as possible, right? Right. Yeah. And then there's also lots of kegs... Filled with a uh, liquid, red liquid, blood, lots of blood. Apparently, he had a blood bank because uh, you got your elf, human, red dragon blood. How do you get fifty pints of red dragon blood easily? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's the but the blood's been there a while, so you can't do your uh, blood transfusions, but you could maybe use them for some magic. Well, the vampire's blood is nasty because you might get addicted to it if you drink it. Right, because, yeah, if you drink a pint of the vampire blood, you get, you, it works, you get a little bit of healing, 1d4 plus 1 healing, and then you get plus 1 to hidden damage for an hour. And then each hour after that, you must make a saving throw or immediately take another drink if available. Yeah. It's also possible to use the blood as part of the transfusion, turning the character into a vampire. Well, here's the thing, though. There's, um, yeah, I get the whole blood transfusion thing. You might become a vampire, but yeah, you might get addicted to it if you're just going by the addiction part. Where are the ramifications if you get addicted? Right. Yeah. What, what's the withdrawal? Yeah. So you. Would I'm need- guessing it's going to be one of those you search it out until you find it type deal. Possibly. Right. I yeah. guess maybe if you drink too much of it, you turn into a ooh, vampire. As ooh, well. insanity. Right, I was. Ooh, yeah. There you go. You, you, th- I was thinking you go to the DMG and pull out the like the illness, alcohol, drunkenness, addiction there you go. rules. There you go. And just hey, and maybe 
and like I was saying, maybe after a prolonged period of like of like if you drink too much of it, maybe you'll turn into a vampire too. Right. I don't know. If you gorge yourself too much, if you went yeah. too long and gorge yourself, then yeah. Or or perhaps it drives you you now have to like hunt down all the vampire. Yes. Because you have to kill them and so you kill them then drink them. Ooh. Put them in a blender. Yes. All of a sudden, you're wanting you. You're, vampire you're, you're begging to storm Castle Ravenloft just because you need some vampire blood. The new Strahd Blizzard. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then so I made a bad joke. I am so sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Moving on. Yeah. Now we. Oh, and then it gets even better. <laughs> yes, it does because now we're going into the drowning pool. Yes, it looks like a nice, calm pool. Yes, yeah, back, yeah. back to things wanting to kill you again, so... Yes. Right, because as soon as you enter the room, hey, it's another devil. Why are all these devils hanging out, then? This is what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. Mm. If the party does nothing, well, it just picks one... just go... Well, hold, hold on. You can always go by the old, like, you know, evil attracts evil, evil begets evil sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Mm. Who knows? Maybe he maybe he made some deals with some devils and uh, didn't quite live up to his end of the bargain. Hence, why his magic turned him into worms. Yes. <laughs> uh, but with this, you enter the room. Devil swims up. If they do nothing, it grabs a member and try it tries its drowning attack. Yeah, it's a special type of devil called the drowning devil. Yes. Uh, you get a saving throw versus death magic. Uh, on a fail, the character's lungs are full of water and begins drowning. Yep. So, and again, it's similar to the suffocation. You get half your constitution in rounds before you start taking damage, and it's that scaling damage. Same with yep. suffocation. Uh, removing water from another character basically requires chest compressions. Takes 1d4 rounds, unless trained. Yeah, form CPR. Right, yeah. So if you have taken a lifeguard class... <laughs> or as as it says here, or is a sea elf, you can uh, do it quicker, and it also does one point one to three points of subdual damage from these chest compressions. Um, the pond itself is only five feet deep, so you can jump in and fight it. However, if the party flees, it doesn't follow because it doesn't want to leave its pool. You know what? This is a place where you would make use of. It's in the DM's guide. The uh, was it the uh, professions? Yes. Uh, start, you know, your previous profession before you became an adventurer. I would say if you had the, the profession of sailor, mm-hmm. yeah. I know how to do this. Right. Yeah. I could, yeah. So, so if anyone has that in their backstory, yeah, I would give them that bonus easily. Mm-hmm. And then there, there, of course, since there's a monster, there's treasure. Uh, if you, mm-hmm. On the far side of the pond from where you enter... Uh, there's the belongings of all the victims. So just like you get knickknacks and boots and clothes, and there's like, but there is a, a black dress that is a clothing of AC3. So it's clothing ba- of defense. Yep. Yeah, basically it acts as bracers of defense three. Yeah, it's the same thing as bracers. Same things, but it's a dra- black dress. So hey, it, it, it's a nice little way to uh, walk around in public and wear a nice little black dress and get some defense bonus to boost. Oh man, you see the name of the drowning devil? Uh, devil? Yeah, see- it's an anagram. It's backwards. 
His name is Sukwaj. Yeah. It's Jacques spelled backwards. Jacques. Yeah, Jacques Cousteau. Yes. That's what he was going with. Awesome. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's Jacques spelled backwards. Damn it! (laughs) Jacques spelled backwards. Awesome. Yeah. I'm like, oh, drowning. Jacques Cousteau. Okay. Cute. Yeah. (laughs) Never. Yeah. And then we got another alcove off here, and now we're in the bedroom. The bed, the boudoir. The boudoir. And then with this, it's off the, it's clearly uh, the former cordon off, it's like cordon off with like tapestry, it's now, that's now tattered and rotten. The chamber itself, it's like, got a table, it's got a really long bed, and there's a figure laying. falling apart. Yeah, and there's a figure laying in the bed underneath the covers. Mm-hmm. So and then well, there definitely is. Yes. <laughs> creepy doll in there and yeah. creepy dolls, lots of just like decaying letters and notes. So you can this is where you can also kind of lay out some backstory too if you want to expand this mm-hmm. uh, and all the papers. The 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 figure on the bed and the dolls are monsters, so at this point. Uh and, and this is what I like about this another portion I like about this module is this um, the larger golem, the skin stitch, actually uses the magic item that it has. <laughs> right. And it uses Aww. it against you. <laughs> Instead of just having it in itself and just not using it. Right. It actually uses its treasure, that plus three great axe that we talked about earlier. Right. And so. then, but, and so you have this big creature with a great axe, and that's not actually yeah. the dangerous thing in the room. No. Nope, it's the little doll. Just the little dolly. I mean, the skin sketch is nasty enough that, you know, it looks like it's got, you know, a flesh golem, but there's straw coming out of all of its orifices. Yeah. But you got this thing, was it uh, called a tupelac? Yeah, tupelac. Yeah, because it's got, it's got bite and claw damage, but it stink cloud at three times a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it just those two, it's got yourself a nice little battle here. Um, and then, and if you're real good, you get this axe, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. Right, because it it it, it isn't just random great axe plus three. It actually has a little bit of a backstory, so it's more yeah. of an artifact here. Because um, this one is named Theramir. Theramir. Some yeah, and it was basically meant to fight undead. Undead. So. Uh, it gets plus three bonus, but doubles to plus six against the undead. It glows in their presence, so yep. it's your undead radar. Uh, and then it glows, and it glows different colors depending on what it is. Like one the stroke, to th- more hit dice, the different the color. Right. So if it glows red, it's ten and up. Like white for one to three, and it just it glows dark, goes from blue to purple. And if you see black, you're gonna run. Yeah, because yeah. that is your liches. Yeah. Okay, so the axe gets a backstory, but the devil no. Correct. No, apparently not. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, and the light also causes the undead to glow in turn, as if they had fairy fire cast on them. Yeah, so you get those bonuses for a fairy fire on them. Right, and... 
this is a neat magic item. Yeah, no, I really like this, and it ha- it also gets, it's worth like thirty five thousand gold. But I who's selling thirty five hundred XP, right? But here's the thing: I would make a catch to it though. What's that? There has to be a downside. You got to think of a downside with this thing. It gives you gas every time you use it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And. So you get flatulence, okay. Well, here's the thing, imagine, you're not going to be stealthy fighting undead with this, because you've got a big, giant, glowy light. Right. So it, it kind of very much is a beacon. You can do that, maybe the possessor of the axe has, has every time he uses it against undead, maybe he's cursed that he has to go and he goes into berserker rage every time he faces undead. He gets a quest he must destroy all undead. So he yeah. can get addicted to the vampire blood, grab this oh. axe. And he has to kill himself. <laughs> he, he, no, no, he's just addicted. He didn't convert. So now he just has to go and roam the land slaughtering all undead. Oh, my. He's just become Blade. Yes. Well, how about the uh, side effect is something not that big of a deal, but kind of in a way, but I don't know, maybe... It's that once you start using this, this is the only weapon you can use. And any other weapon you do use, you have a negative effect upon you. Negative yeah. or something. That something that's not major, but enough that it's like kind of annoying nuisance. Right. Would you make this maybe intelligent? Mm. With everything that's going on right now, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe in the future. Yeah. I could, I could see you doing that and having it be... He, uh, he got the, Thamir was actually a person who wielded the axe and was trying to just kill the undead that the necromancer was raising, and he, he got vanquished and cursed into the axe. Ooh, and then he starts talking to you and befriending you, and he tries to get you inside the axe so he can get out. Yes. Ooh, and he... <laughs> oh. There we go, yep, yep. Ooh. Right. Hi, Nick. I am your axe. How are you? Hey, we kill undead great together. I can help you more if you do this. Really? Okay. (laughs) I don't feel so good. (laughs) Nick, please, come into this room. (laughs) Walk into the mirror. Don't you want your boat? (laughs) Oh, and then... But then from there, now we're getting into the workshop where Carolath did all of his work, where all this was created. If 14 wasn't a bad enough room, 15 is going to definitely put you under. Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's full of bugs, all of which are controlled by Carolath. And they either make his body or animate to uh, exoskeletons of four giant spiders and two giant wasps. And as soon as they enter, Carolath rises and the takes form, and then there, this is where also the exoskeletons of the spiders start crawling into attack. You and, know what? And, I just realized something. Maybe this might be maybe something unaware he might not have intended this with the module, but as I'm reading about it, I'm like, he might have had like an underlying thing. Things that people are most scared of. Yeah, dr- think about suffocation, buried alive. Drowning, Drowning, spiders, creepy-looking dolls. Yeah. That might be the overriding, underlying theme here. Yeah. Polka music. 
<laughs> I'm not sure people are scared of polka music, dude. Uh, but okay, sure. I'm sure there's some people out there. Yeah, but no, actually, yeah, there is. The theme is very much that everything in here that's attacking is some sort of like phobia. Yeah, yeah, because like when I just put it together, like when you mentioned spiders, like I'm scared to death of spiders. I hate them. And I'm like, oh yeah, if I saw something like this that was a a spider construct, it was made by the dead husks and exoskeletons of spiders. Yeah, I would run away. I would have to check. I would probably soil my armor and run. Yeah. <laughs> okay, mental note. More spider reviews for the future. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we can find a book of anacrid uh, monsters. Yeah, because... Yeah. And, uh, and then when all... So you have all these things going on. And Terralath, the first thing he's just going to do, he has lightning bolt. So he's just going to be lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Yeah. He won't fight intelligently. It's literally, you walk in, you get lightning bolt. And if he's not getting good results, then he'll start thinking about what he needs to do. Yeah. Because um, once the two lightning bolts are used, that's when he starts trying to, using web to trap the party. Yeah. Uh, he's got a globe, he has a globe of invulnerability spell he uses. And then if things start going bad, he just casts teleport without error. Without error, yeah. Well, and, and helping him though are these death web spiders and the death flyer wasps. He's got six total of these things, right? So, but along with Kurlath himself, yeah, it's going to be tough, right? Because and, and like, he, along with the whole like phobia thing, the the you know people fear. I'm wondering as depending how detailed you are on a backstory for, like, player characters, the backgrounds, maybe you do give them phobias. And if they run into one of these things, they have to save versus, I don't know, spell or something like that, or they run. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just add, add that in. Given, like, that intimidating presence, it's like, oh, oh crap. Goodbye. Yeah. Because yeah. Nick, is, Nick is on a roll today. Yeah. Thanks. Yes, he had He's an epiphany. Two crackers. Yeah, he had an epiphany oh. here. I had an epiphany. Yeah. Had you can a, leave on a high note, Nick. Go ahead and hang up. I had an apostrophe. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. It, and just to make Terralath just a little nastier, well, let's look at his damage resistance. No damage from piercing. Minimum from slashing. Regenerates two hit points around. Yeah. Minimum damage from fireball and cold attacks. Yeah. Because all they do if it hits by a fireball, all it does is burns off the outer layer of worms and bugs. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, really, the, you're probably not going to kill him. He's going to end up fleeing. The only thing you could kill him with are electricity sort of spells like lightning bolt, shocking grasp. Something of that nature. Right, but are you going to be able to do enough damage quick enough before he cast his teleport? Probably not. So now no. you have a reoccurring villain yeah, who's probably go. very annoyed. Yep. And the only other thing I could think of is that battle axe, because he is technically undead. So, you know, maybe magic items that affect undead would hurt him, but, you know, where the likelihood of anything else besides the battle axe? Right. So he could still get away, like you said. Right. He's pro like probably that, going to yeah. make the villain X the villain get away, so you could eat <laughs> Exactly. And then it, once I, he flees I, I or you kill him. Mustache, you know, 
worm. Yes. Because <laughs> there's a copy of the Demonomicon on the floor of this. Yep. Which contains spells involving binding and summoning outsiders. Hence how uh, the uh, our not succubus got binded and locked in place. Uh, in the, the drowning demon, too. Right. Um, most of it's rotted. But it, so it only contains the spirit rack and Dolor. Dolor spell. It also has the legible true names of demons and devils. So it's got a little bit here. Um, and then the last one, after there's a blood pooled. That after being defeated, the blood golem conceals into ten. <laughs> Yeah, Ten blood, blood rubies, and so basically, there's this. This room is just weird because there's no setup to it. It's just blood pool. Yeah, yeah, just a blood pool, pool of blood, and just it attacks a, you. Yeah, it's just like there's a pool of blood here. There's a blood golem. No other. Uh, just looking at everything else. Usually, there's a little more setup to that. But question: mm-hmm. Dolor spell. Where's that from? I think that's a third edition spell. It has to be. I'm looking in the player's handbook. I don't see that. Yeah, I don't recognize that either. Unless it's an unearthed arcana, but I don't Take have a look. Oh. It could be an unearthed arcana, but it just doesn't sound familiar to me. Mm-hmm. It's an yeah. encha- enchantment charm spell. Oh, okay. <laughs> From Harry Potter. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's it's a Harry Potter spell, but I don't know if it's in. Let me see here. Uh, it's a fifth level spell. That's ah, a fifth level spell. But what edition? Forces compliance and obedience. I'm guessing magic user. Yeah, it's a magic user. Yeah, magic user attempts to force compliance or obedience from some opposably aligned or hostile creature from a plane of foreign. Okay, actually okay. it is from, for, uh, it, there was actually an article done on it uh, back in Dragon Magazine 68 by Gary Gygax. The Dolor still? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just as Matt read that, I read the last paragraph that said that. <laughs> it might be an unearthed arcana then. I'll go take a look. Well, I'll put a link here in the because I know Unearthed Arcana had a boatload of stuff from Dragon Magazine. There's a description of the spell we can include in the show notes. It's for... Is it fifth level? Yeah, it's a fifth level yeah. spell. Enchantment yeah, there it is. Dolor. In Unearthed Arcana. I'll be doggone. It's definitely one I'm not familiar with at all. No. Yeah, level five range, ten feet, duration two rounds. Uh, five segments... Uh, by means of the spell, the magic user attempts to force compliance or obedience from some oppositely aligned or hostile creature from a plane foreign to that of the spellcaster. And it's a pretty long explanation after that. Yeah. Pretty interesting. So that wraps up the module. Pretty much. My favorite part is how he put everything out for your viewing pleasure of everything you've given out. Every monster, every experience point, every room That's with treasure, add it up, and the experience totals underneath, and the grand total of experience for the entire module, just based on gold, items, and hack and slash, mm-hmm. is 145,685 experience points. Yep. 
And then we get our appendix of all the monsters that have been listed here as a its own little beastery kind of thing. So you can get more description of everything, a little bit more detail about it. And this is kind of cool because you could just kind of, from this page on, rip it out of here and just use it and like add it to your DM binder yeah, yeah. for monsters. Absolutely. And use them however you want. Yeah. Yeah, and it's nice. I like all the monsters because, you know, everybody say is, you know, they want something new to face. So here you go. Right. And then I also like this, too, because it's pretty much you have it set up to where you can just grab this module. You don't need to track down all your other monster books. It's everything you need is there to run it. Because some modules will just throw in the stat block, but you, but still, to get all the detail, you have to pull out your other books and everything. No, this has everything you need to run it. I think that is a throwback to, or I should say a hat tip to 5e and 4e. You know how they, Matt might be more familiar too with this as well, That how they started including the monster stat blocks, and then they gave the entire monster description with them in the back. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just a touch that makes DMing so much easier. So. All right, so, sword, 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 swords, out of five. Matt, go ahead, start. I'm going to go. This is like a definite four. Uh, I mean, I really like it. I, it's it might be a little on the short side uh, with only 16. So it may not fill up a full session. But by the time you start fleshing out like the setup and everything, you can probably get a good three hours out of it. Um, I definitely like there's an it doesn't spell everything out. So like you have to start making up backstory to re, to work it into your campaign, be it the not succubus, uh fleshing out the backstory more of some of the undead and everything. So, no, I definitely like it, and it's a pay-what-you-want module. So it's definitely worth sending a few dollars towards the... Averaging, as of this recording, $1. Yeah. But so head over there. On the link we'll include in the show notes. Click on it and grab it. If you really like it, go back and donate the second time. Or donate the first time if you just you know want to trust the author. But I suggest highly looking at it. And if you do like it, definitely go back and be like, hey, dude, here's a couple bucks. Right. My review, uh, my sword, I'm going to say it's going to be uh, 4.95 out of 5. Oh, okay. And it it's almost a wonderfully perfect module because it has demons and devils and really warped and crazy things, which I like. There's a few little minor things like, you know, polka music and the backstory of why that demon was, the devil was there kind of irked me, but that's just me. Everyone else could probably just meh it. So, 4.95. Almost a perfect 5 for me for this one. Nick? Um, four and a half swords for everything that you fellas mentioned. I also like the, uh, the little kind of in-jokes if you could figure them out. Um, but overall, I like it. It's a nice, compact adventure. I can, I can see this one that you can easily um, have it stand alone as, as maybe a jumping off point to a larger campaign for higher level characters. Or if you already have an existing campaign, you can have this as a side quest. Or it could potentially be part of a larger dungeon. You can even throw that in there too. So it's it's very quote unquote modular. I think with all the combat going on, this could be a good, easy four hours. I mean, there's a lot of combat yeah. going on here. Yeah, I could see this could be a good, like, one-night session thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Or maybe two nights, depending on how many hours your group plays and how fast they are moving around. 
Yep. I mean, yep. there's going to be a lot of t- downtime because you're going to be doing a lot of healing on yes. well, from room to room. Right. And this is one of the things I like about this module. It when you get to like those higher levels, like seventh, eighth, nine, it's hard to find challenges for those player characters, and this one will pose a challenge. I would almost, even to discourage the downtime, maybe just have some roaming uh, undead. Why Why not? You would think there'd be like some, maybe some just skeletons or zombies or ghouls or whatever just kind of roaming the cave. A lich. Yeah, lich. Yeah, just random lich. Yeah. Why, why not? Yeah. It, hence why you need that sword. It glows red. Oh, no, lich. No, black. I'm sorry. Yeah, black. 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 Oh, snap. <laughs> Uh, Goodbye. Bye-bye. Ooh, this is... I'm now seeing... If you had this axe mixed with that the one sword from Rollades that sprays the holy water, you then you have yourself a nice undead killing machine. So... so you can like, actually put the two together and they make a holy water sprinkler. Yeah. Oh, well, or what if you took the vampire blood and put it in that sword and you started spraying people with the vampire blood? Oh boy! All right, now you're just getting weird. Yeah, now, now, yeah. Matt needs to go to bed. He's tired. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's what we have to do. Take a look at it. We'll put the link in the show notes for this show. Go take a look at it, and uh, actually email us your thoughts. Or if I staff at gmail dot com five seven zero eight six five forty two ten is the hotline. If you want to leave us a voicemail. And we do actually have an email that we pulled out of the email box this week that we want to talk about. It does come from DM Steve, and he has a little interesting situation going on, and he wanted some advice. And I know he actually said that he was running it that Sunday when he sent it, so we apologize that he may have already gone through this, I believe, based on the time frame. Looking at this, he may have already gone through this. So uh, his question is, he has, he has six PCs in his party around 6th or 7th level, and they're going against a horde. <laughs> a goblin horde of 40 to 400. So he wanted some advice on running. How does someone handle 113 versus six (laughs) battle? Uh, Yeah. Very carefully. And how do you, yeah. And how do you handle the fatigue and everything? When is it set in? And he also wanted some advice on grappling. So I did a little poking around. I did a little Matt Google foo and looking at some of the books. Yeah, that's a term now. Matt Google foo foo there. Uh, first of all, certain enemies can only attack one PC at a time, so it's not like 400 or whatever, 50 of these things can attack one at a time. Only a certain amount of people can reach in. Those that are doing melee, those that are not doing melee can shoot into melee, which obviously would be the disadvantage, I'm sorry, negative attack, Keep thinking of 5e rules here. And also, on the flip side, fighters also gain the ability to attack low-level hit dice creatures at multiple times, according to the player's handbook on page 25 which we were, had to remind ourselves about. Yeah. We were like, where the hell is that? We've seen it before. Yeah. yeah, Nick and I were looking for like, where was that? We know we saw that. Yeah, so like uh, a seventh level fighter can attack seven first one hit dice or lower creatures in that round. Is, is that right? Yeah. He also wanted to know about fatigue rules. So that's, uh, you have to go jump to the survival guide. We'll learn a survival guide for that one. Fatigue sets into six rounds, six, sorry, six turns of strenuous activity, such as melee combat. And then from there, you would start adding your negative uh, modifiers. And there's all, like alternate things you can do. Like you can say, based on, 
Because I think that maybe using a constitutional modifier would be a better judge of strenuous activity because that'd be... I, I can't see everybody doing the same thing no matter what. Higher constitution people can last a lot longer doing strenuous activities versus people with lower constitution modifiers. Do you guys agree with that maybe? Or? Yeah. I would absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think that it makes sense because also think about it. How many other combats do you have that go six, seven, eight rounds so you're not using the fatigue those fatigue rules? Because... Using that logic, uh, any com- anytime you swing the sword for, let's see, if, if you have ten, uh, six rounds, that's one minute. Wait, wait, you're, no, it's, or my, no, that's segments, no, six minutes. Six minutes of swinging a sword. So you swing the sword six times in combat round. Now you're fatigued? That just seems low. I would uh, maybe... You get your constitution score before you even have to start worrying about your teeth. So you have, like, well, if you're... Also, in the consideration, you're not just swinging a sword. You're moving around, you're wearing armor, you're trying to avoid blows, maybe parry blows, so that all factors kind of in, too, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you know, no, that absolutely would. Um, I guess I'm just thinking of six just seems like too short of a period. For the purpose, because otherwise, how many combats do you have where you would normally be using the fatigue that you haven't used the fatigue rules, but you're using them in this situation? I don't know. I've done six minutes of SCA combat in the past, and I was wiped out, oh, dude. Yeah, but that's you. You're not a, an adventurer running around every day, getting up in the morning, chopping yes, wood. You're, no, you're, <laughs> you're not. You're not building fires, and you're not foraging for food, and you're not sitting there with your buddies during out the day when you're in your downtime practicing sword fights so you can keep your skills up. So, you know. Sorry. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just think the out of the survival guide, six just seems a little short because otherwise, I think you would be hitting that a lot, and that's just well, so six, maybe double that. Six, it's yeah. six turns. So. Oh, six turns. So that's yeah, you're that's an, six rounds. It's six turns. Uh, okay, that that's a different. Okay, that's, that's different. That's an hour. Turns. Turn is an hour, right? Right. So okay, an hour of strenuous activity. Yes, six minutes. No. So at that point using those rules, I don't even think fatigue would even set in. Because if you're fighting this horde for longer than an hour, something's gone wrong. Uh, but, yeah, and plus also, I think you may think the goblin horde's a little scarier than they are, because one, if the players can get a sneaking jump on them, you could probably fire off a couple fireballs before they figure out what's going on. And that can wipe out a lot. So, yeah, when you have some like seventh level magic user, uh, seventh level mage, yeah, I think they'll be okay. But it'll, but just the visual describing it will make it sound very impressive. So, and also a report. It might be good to remember that goblins are they're wusses. Yes. Yeah, they're they're wusses, so they're going to start running when they're uh, seeing their numbers dwindle. So you might want to take that morale thing into account there. Right. right. Yeah, especially with mass combat like that, morale is sometimes the big deciding factor in the battle. You don't kill everyone. You kill enough that the rest run away. But their morale gets boosted because their allies that just made come over the hill and it's Tucker's Cobalt. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody runs. Yeah, yes. that's true. 
All right. Well, hopefully we've answered uh, the questions and we've given a nice little review for you to chew on and come back to us with some information. RFIstaff at gmail.com, 570-865-4210, or visit us at our various places around the web. Find me on the Twitters at the Evil DM. And uh, Matt, what's your Twitter again? My Twitter is DGENX, D-E-G-E-N-X. Nice and simple. Yes, it, it was a screen handle I had from back in the late 90s AOL days in a refer- reference to Degeneration X, yeah, and I just got lazy about changing screen names. You can always change your Twitter name. Or I deal. know, but I've had it for so long, it's like, eh. Yeah, I know. No point in doing it now. People know you by that. Right. Yep. Because then you got to go back and redo all the links. And, and it's a mess, yeah. So, and you can find Nick nowhere on Twitter. Right? Don't he's on Twitter. He don't tweet. Nope. No. He's the antisocial. Yes. But you can find Nick on Facebook. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, head over to Facebook. Check us out under RFI Podcast for Facebook and uh, give us your feedback. So other than that, we'll say keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hey, everybody. The World Furniture Podcast is part of the Wild Games Productions Network and produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. If you'd like to contact us, go to rfipodcast.com, click on contact us, or email us at rfistaff at gmail.com. Voicemail line 5708654210. Facebook.com slash rfipodcast for more. Hey,